second two-time guest on uh, on this podcast um which i guess gives it away if anybody's been paying attention we've got uh, the return of the beef boy elliot tyler elliot how are you doing today oh, i'm doing good man just living day by day how about you guys i'm uh, doing the same how about you quentin how you been yeah um it's just just normal day talking to old men about uh communism in the stock market it's, it's, it's pretty pretty normal over here yeah you're getting ready for your debate with um with David Starr that we predicted on the last podcast. You're gonna you're gonna tell him a thing or two about socialism, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's real funny how that plays out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, this week because wrestling is canceled, basically there is no wrestling to talk about. Uh, there's been some stuff that I've watched. I don't know if you watched the Acid Cup, but it sucked. Um, but there, 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 there's <laughs> some DDT stuff that we that we could have talked about. But that's uh, true. Yeah, there's there was definitely there's some stuff out there, but nothing I wanted to talk about, but something that everyone's been talking about, and I've heard a bunch of reviews. So I hit up Quentin and I said, "Hey, let's just do this. Uh, we're gonna review the uh, Dark Side of the Ring about Chris Benoit, a formative wrestler for us. We had to reach out and get a uh, another Canadian to be on to talk about, you know, maybe there's some cultural stuff we're missing. Although he's from the other side of the country um, than you. Oh, um, before we get into this, uh, fair yeah, warning: yeah. if you don't want to hear people talk about Chris Benoit or yeah. talk about the Chris Benoit case. Or talk about Chris Benoit any manner. Don't listen to this podcast. Yeah, like just skip it. For, for, just skip this episode. Just yeah. come back next time. Just just so we're clear. Just this might not be the podcast for you if you're not interested in hearing about Chris Benoit or going over, um, going over the going over the tragedy, the case, uh, what led to it, anything involving CCE. If you don't want to hear it, just come back next week. Yeah, exactly. Go check out the British uh, Wrestling Experience. They 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 reviewed like Starcade '98 or something. Um, that's that's much much better for you if you can't handle the Benoit. But uh, but also to play tribute to uh so, to some Canadian podcasters who I've always been a big fan of over at uh, Post Wrestling. Again, uh, from a different side of Canada than uh, than our, our guest tonight. Um, this week, Quentin, we are review a wa. Uh, play out <laughs> review away um but yeah so we're going to talk about chris benoit and and all of this um and all of that i guess in general um i don't know quentin i mean what what do you think elliot do you want to open it up what do we want to how do we even want to get into this because we have not formatted this in any way do you want to talk about any news or any other notes of the past week before we get into even talking about the documentary or anything like that 
um, the fact that Roman Reigns was even scheduled to work WrestleMania with the with COVID with the COVID nineteen stuff going on. I know uh, is kind of fucking wild, and the fact that he had to like go and request, like, "Hey, can you can you guys get do something else here because <laughs> I had leukemia?" is kind of fucking insane. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a nuts one. Um, I guess got replaced by Braun. Um, I haven't heard any spoilers, but uh, I think the match has already happened. Um, which he's definitely the poster boy that you want on in your big title match on WrestleMania after the social media that he's had the past week. Um, talking about like basically, if you're poor right now, you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get another job. It's a really a, a great time to be talking about that, right? Um, so yeah, Roman's pulled. I guess. Did you hear what kind of was the final straw that broke the camel's back for for Roman on that one? I th- it feels like it was just a thing that has always been in the back of his mind, but he was just like, like I guess this was like, all right, look, guys, like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Yeah, but, well, what I like, what like, I heard like, clearly was, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, what I heard was the Usos wrestled against Miz and Morrison and found out that Miz was sick and lost their shit. About being basically being forced to wrestle with someone who was sick. Not to say that he had COVID, but he was just you know sick, and they were worried. And then that led to Roman being yeah. like, "What the fuck am I doing here? My cousins are getting exposed. Possibly, I've got a weakened immune system, and that was it." So that's a fucking insane story. And to think it's Miz of all people pulling some bullshit like that, but it, I guess it kind of makes sense. Anything else that you want you want to get into, uh, Ellie? Any any news that you thought that you thought was interesting? Any news? Well. Wrestling that I thought was interesting. Um, have you guys been following the Tiger King stuff going on from that Netflix documentary? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you I guys that. hear that there was a wrestling show run at the uh, Tiger King Zoo? No, that's awesome. <laughs> you can find photos online, man. It's like Joe Exotic with like Jinder Mahal with a uh, Tim Storm and just all these different people like Jackson Stone, and it's crazy. Like they ran wrestling shows there. Huh. I'd never. Yeah. That that whole story was insane. And one of the. okay, so this was the craziest part to me about the whole documentary was that Joe Exotic had this feud with that, you know, Carol Baskins or whatever. Carol Baskins. Yeah. And she was in Florida and he somehow wasn't because he seemed like the most Florida dude ever. And he was not the one that was in Florida. I found that to be very odd. He seems like the definition of a florida man like you hear the headlines yeah. like florida man does this you like he fits it perfectly yeah it was crazy to think maybe that's why he was feuding with her he was jealous that she actually got to be in florida where he belongs mm. um but uh but yeah that's pretty nuts and uh and yeah gender gender mahal tim storm that's a uh, definitely definitely yeah. some uh some some stalwarts of the uh, the wrestling industry there <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, that's my wrestling news that's all i got yeah that's pretty good. I I don't have much in the way of wrestling news really. I mean, I've been I've been kind of checked out. There's so much going on. I've been so busy, you know, in general. Um like, right, right, I guess, rightfully so. There's just a lot, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, I like I said I checked out the Acid Cup. I was definitely not impressed um with that overall. Um it's been tough, man. I mean, wrestling has been not great right now. I mean, there's not much to watch. I think uh, I think you mentioned watching the SUP show, um, the most recent one that yeah. went up. And even that one, it was like, you know, I don't blame them for running the show or whatever. You know, it wasn't necessarily at, at the time where it was like, it, you know, you definitely were 
it was inappropriate to be running anything. Um, but it's definitely to look back on it now, it is kind of like crazy to think like that they even had that show at the time that they did. Um, oh, well, but that well, said, well, uh, one more, one oh, more thing. So we, I guess we, yeah, we haven't been watching as much uh, modern wrestling, obviously. One more thing I want to touch on is that uh, Kento Miyahara, if, uh, spoiler alert, uh, did while dropping oh, yeah. the belt to Suwama. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten around to watching the uh, Triple Crown match yet, but you know, since Suwama has came came back uh, from from his Achilles injury, uh, him and him, him and uh, Kento's matches have gotten progressively better and better each time. It's where like each time I feel like they've had like great matches together. So I've seen good reviews for the latest match, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out as soon as possible too. But Timothy, you're gonna appreciate this. So I started the uh, Timothy Thatcher project. Uh, Yesterday, yes. and the first match that I that I wound up watching for this was a uh, Thatcher versus a guy that you may be familiar with, uh, David Dutra. <laughs> so it was the was the first Thatcher match on on the on the huh. project here from from APW. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. I've seen so little of him though. Like he's from a, a while ago APW guy. Like God damn, that's a blast from the past. Um. Yeah, that's that was probably pretty interesting early Thatcher, and I mean that uh, Thatcher hero match from um, Wrestling Retribution Project also got uh, dropped recently, and that wasn't that early, but it was like British Messiah era Thatcher, so that was interesting to see that um, something different. Um, I guess another kind of blast from the pasty match that showed up. It wasn't. I don't think it was the first time it showed up, but it's on YouTube for free now. Is a match that uh, someone on this call was actually in. Uh, speaking of David Starr earlier, David Starr, Elliot Tyler, uh, Travis Williams, and was Judas Icarus in that match? I think as well. Yes, he was um, the fourth man. Yeah. So you guys. I mean, I like I said, I saw that match last year at some point when we were kind of doing end of the year uh, stuff. And I even mentioned it on our end of the year podcast, but, um, but uh, yeah, really good stuff. And that's, that's out here. And I don't know if you talked about that match at all for you, how you felt about working with David Starr last time we were on here or that match in general. But uh, since then you had some big matches with the aforementioned Judas Icarus uh, barroom brawl. You got your, you finally kind of got your win. I'll say, I say that there's a little bit of an asterisk next to it there because he didn't actually say I quit, and that's kind of the stipulation of the match. How do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about that weekend? Uh, that weekend was actually one of the craziest things ever. I don't know. Did you? So it was two nights. Night one yeah. was me versus Icarus. Uh, we had our match, and night two I was supposed to wrestle El Fantasmo, and Judas was supposed to wrestle Bandito and Jeff Cobb. And now there was this whole situation backstage in management and about 30 minutes before, maybe an hour before the show, uh, during the meeting, I got told, hey, you're going to be in the match with Judas Bandito and Jeff Cobb. And I was like, oh, what's Phantasmo doing? And they're like, oh, you're still wrestling Phantasmo. So that whole weekend as a whole was, you know, very stressful from going from uh, some smaller matches, wrestling in some little places, and then just like getting thrown on this two night giant spectacle in the pacific northwest wrestling all these big people it was, it was big it was scary you know i mean i mean to ask you about this is um so obviously you guys are like like you're like you're like you're 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 you and it in, in eccw was like like i like obviously I, in my opinion like the hottest thing that the that the company has going for right now like these two young guys going out there and just putting it all out there and for the fact that you guys went out there the next night into a four-way with guys like Bandito and Cobb who are already very established BWG champions and things like that. And that you guys, at the, at, at, again, at the end of the day, were the ones that were the most important guys 
in that match, um, playing off of the previous night's events and everything, just like how kind of cool is it to be in a spot where you guys are so young, st- still kind of still new to th- still new to this, but you guys are kind of like really finding your footing in that like upper tier like I mean, event scene in, in your in your um, in your home company. It, it's really cool, man. It's really cool to get a lot of that faith put into you, a lot of that trust to, to be able to be told. Like, like I'll be honest, when you have guys like Artemis Spencer and Nicole Matthews on the card and the promoters are like, we're going to put you in this situation, like, obviously, like, it means a lot. They're putting a lot of trust in you. And to get to go out there with Bandito and Jeff Cobb and, like you said, kind of be like the 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 upper card part of that match is like, is because guys like that are so good and so professional and so, like, they were so key on making sure myself and Icky's stuff were still prominent within the match. And, you know, they were very generous that way. And it was really cool. And like the whole us getting our footing thing is just like, it's, it happened pretty quick. And obviously there's still a lot to learn, a lot to do, but just like being able to know that I can run on that level is pretty, it does a lot for me mentally, you know? So like one more thing before we guess we got we might move on a little bit is that so I wasn't so I wasn't here the last time that you and Tim got did a did a podcast together so one thing that I wanted to I wanted to know when maybe that you can uh, offer a little bit more insight on now that you and uh, Icky have had got a little bit more interactions as opponents under your belt what do you prefer doing or do you, do you prefer being in a tag team with them or do you prefer like kind of like being like being his rival as the where do you where do you think you guys get the most out of each other that's uh Getting the most out of each other, I would definitely say uh, probably as opponents, but it's it's so hard to pick which one I like more because when we're teaming, it's just it's so much fun out there, right? But then when we're wrestling each other, it's just like it's the most intense intense mm-hmm. matches I've ever had, like the most hard-hitting, the most going at it. So personally, I would say wrestling him is just a bit more fun, but, you know, like best of both worlds, whatever I'm doing with him, it's always going to be a good time. Right. And and Quentin brought it up there, especially about, you know, just about your guys' wrestling each other, being a tag team, your feud with each other at ECCW and how good that is. Like, not just being, I mean, definitely, I would say, to me, personally, the thing that I care about the most on ECCW shows for 2019, I was supposed to say 2018. Um, but also on top of that, I mean, in the conversation of all of the landscape of wrestling, 2019 was not a strong year for feuds. You could legitimately argue that, you know, in the top, you know 20 to top 10 feuds of all of 2019 is you versus icky in the singles matches and then also you and icky as a team against four minutes of heat like somehow you guys had amazing feuds doing great storyline stuff like really doing more than just the in ring but then yeah in that four way i mean you and icky were standing out you seemed like you fit you didn't feel like you were like taking a back seat to two like established international stars it's really cool stuff it's kind of a bummer that like all that momentum has taken a little bit of a, a pause but maybe it's a good thing because i could say that you guys wrestling as a tag team you guys wrestling each other had kind of hit that point where you probably needed to cool down and now you know this is like kind of a forced cool down you guys haven't interacted and in, with each other in so long and and you're not going to interact with each other for probably a while so when you do come back to it it'll feel it could probably feel pretty fresh which is definitely pretty cool yeah, yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely needed a cool off. I think we had one more match against Four Minutes of Heat coming up, which was supposed to be yesterday as of the filming of this podcast. But besides that, like the strays were cooling down for a little bit, us feuding. Yeah, no, we definitely like acknowledge that maybe we need to separate to grow a little <laughs> more, you know? Definitely. Um, 
But yeah, another match that uh, that I watched recently that I don't know if Quentin got a chance to check out was uh, Young Guns versus uh, Jody Fleisch and um, and uh, oh, God damn it, Johnny Storm. Um, really great match, but I came away from it uh, wishing that uh, we could get Young Guns versus the Strays. That would be a dream tag team match for me personally, oh, yeah, but <laughs> I don't know if that'll happen anytime soon. But that I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. Speaking of young, again, young Canadian wrestlers cutting their teeth, uh, maybe with some influences to British wrestling. We got Chris Benoit. Um, hopefully, you guys uh, are you know not uh, not as intense as he was as a student of the game. But uh, <laughs> coming into this, I mean, okay, so let's let's talk about. I'll I'll, I'll preface this with this, and, and Quentin did a good job of giving like kind of a a, a a content warning at the beginning of the podcast to let people know that but so neither one of you guys have to feel awkward i'll put it out there completely as like being probably the most unapologetic like i'm a huge fan of chris benoit i always was i don't remember a time really as a wrestling fan when i wasn't a fan of chris benoit um there may have been a brief period of time where i watched wrestling and he was not even on american wrestling yet but uh that was a very brief time if i'm perfectly honest um Always a huge fan of his. Always thought that he was amazing. Still think definitely in the conversation as one of the best wrestlers of all time. Um, I think that there's a lineage. Obviously, they talk about it in the documentary. You go Dynamite Kid, you go Davey Richards, or you go Dynamite Kid, Chris Benoit. And then for a while, it was Brian Danielson. And then that kind of got supplanted by Davey Richards, where people stopped saying that, you know, Brian Danielson was kind of the next um, Chris Benoit. And they started kind of being more of the Davey Richards thing. But I mean, we just saw our, you know, friend of the podcast, Chad, do his, you know, his updated greatest wrestler ever and had Brian Danielson as the number one wrestler in the world. And I, I think that you would be really wrong to say that there isn't some influence there of Dynamite Kid, Chris Benoit, to Brian Danielson, who is, I think, arguably the greatest wrestler of all time. So it's almost impossible, I think, to really be someone who credibly talks about the history of wrestling and doesn't kind of at least acknowledge the talent of Chris Benoit. So I'll just say that, like, from here, like, I don't care if people are going to be upset. Like, I think that the man is a fucking monster, maybe. I mean, honestly, that's even hard to say. I kind of think that from what we saw in the documentary, there's a lot of things that were messed up and a lot of things that it's really hard to blame him for. But I don't forgive any of the actions that he did. I think it's really terrible. Um, But he was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. So coming from that, you know, point of view, I kind of talked about my background I don't know whoever wants to start it out, but if you guys want to give your background on like when you found out about Chris Benoit, what happened, were you a fan of his before it happened or not? Because I know that you're both younger than me, so I don't know where on the timeline you come into it. Um, yeah, Quentin, if you want to say first, go ahead, or if you want to let Elliot go, that's fine. Um, it's like, so my first, my, my, I have my first memories of wrestling, at least going back to like 2001, 2002. So obviously by that, by that point, like I'm aware of who Chris Benoit is. Um, I've always been kind of a nerdy wrestling fan. So, like, people like Triple H and Undertaker and Kane, like, were my favorites. I liked Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio and Kurt Angle. Like, I I liked those guys because I thought they were, like, exciting and had, like, matches that I deemed to be exciting. So, like, even from, like, that early on, like, my earliest memories of wrestling, Chris Benoit was part of those memories. Um, At the time, the... uh, the, tra- the tragedy happens. I believe I'm, uh, I believe I'm ten years old, because um, because the because the because the double because the double murder suicide double murder suicide is a uh, two thousand seven, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm ten I'm ten years old. Um, when Eddie when Eddie Guerrero dies, I'm eight years old, and 
truthfully, those are like the like it kind of it's kind of like weird to say because I like obviously I don't know these people, but these are the first deaths like I remember in my life. Like Eddie Guerrero dying is the first death I ever remember. Like anything anything before that didn't phase me, didn't think about it. Like Eddie Guerrero dying and the reaction to it. That's all like in my uh in my elementary school classmates, on TV, on on the news. That's a death that's the first death I remember. And then from there on, Chris Benoit was like even though I'm ten, it was like a like a I didn't understand what like what the fuck was going on by that point. Just because I remember that I remember that tribute episode that they first aired for Benoit on on Raw. And then uh as the details came as the details came out, as Vince McMahon walked it back and said, uh, you know, we will not be there will be no mentioning of Chris Benoit on tonight's broadcast and things like that. Like I was just really confused. Like I was understanding that like people are dead, but really confused, like what the fuck is happening, what is going on. So Chris Benoit and like in where where he started for me, like I was like a real big fan of him. Uh the moment with him and Eddie at WrestleMania twenty, uh was again is a moment that a lot of people, a lot of people my age, still really talk about. I have friends that don't watch wrestling anymore, but maybe maybe a few years older than me, the same age as me, but they still remember Chris Benoit and Eddie hugging at WrestleMania twenty. And like so, it's, it's kind of it really is hard for me to kind of like talk like kind of like find my ways to talk about Chris because even as like this stuff has happened and years go on, like he's still attached to memories that like my friends deem as good memories. And it's, 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 like a, it's, like a, it's like a real weird thing to kind of like to, to approach, I think. Yeah, definitely. Elliot, what kind of was your, your background as a wrestling fan and, and all that in, in relation to Chris Benoit? Well, I think this is very big contrast. I did not start watching wrestling until uh, end of 2010, beginning of 2011. You know the really bad period where everyone says they stopped watching wrestling? Yeah. That's when I yeah. <laughs> started watching wrestling. So I missed out on everything Chris Benoit at Eguro. So everything I know about Chris Benoit, I learned. I, I watched, I learned basically after I found out about what he had done. So everything I, like, I'm pretty good at separating the murderer from the wrestler in the sense that, like, you know, I go back and watch his stuff in Japan, his, uh, lots of his younger year WCW stuff, but you know, for the most part, like, I didn't get to see his prime years or the years that people really, like, fell in love with him, like, the WrestleMania moment or all those things, you know, like, yeah, nah, I got a very, uh, very bleak memory of him, so. Yeah, if I, if I don't, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I think our, our friend Brock, uh, is similarly came into wrestling around that time period where everyone says it sucks. Am I right on that one, Quentin? Um, I feel like... He was definitely he was definitely after Benoit. I think Brock yeah. might have been like 2008, maybe. But he was he was definitely he was definitely after Benoit. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Kind of talk to him about it as well to see what he uh, what he thinks of, of that in that regard. Um, which I, I'm pretty sure he's probably talked about somewhere. Um, but yeah, so so one thing that that hit me and you mentioned it there about talking about his Japanese stuff. So I'll bring it up now. Um, that I think is like an interesting kind of thing is, you know, they talked about the news and the mainstream impact and all of that. And, and you think about it in Benoit, like Meltzer has talked about it and we've seen it on like, you know, wrestle on early new Japan shows that would be streaming like on Nico Nico and stuff during like um, intermissions. They, they, there was one time where they showed like a Liger versus Pegasus kid match during the intermission. And in Japan, it's like, it's not, I guess not as taboo to talk about 
Pegasus kid Chris Benoit, and uh, even at this point, um, is just how different things would have been if he, if if the man and the wrestler weren't the same name. As dumb as that is, because it's like all the new stuff just directly calls him Chris Benoit, which is the same character that's on the WWF television, was in the record books as the WWF champion as Chris Benoit. Like, do you think it would have made any difference if he had used a different name, even with what happened, like that it wouldn't have been such a black eye on wrestling because it's like the news media wouldn't have been saying Chris Benoit. They would have been saying whatever else, you know, like his real name. Like, I kind of thought about that. Like, do you think that that, that, that kind of affected it in some way? Mm, that's I've never I've never thought about that. That's a that's a that's a tough that's a tough question, because they said like you, you touched on it there. Like either way, they would have been calling Benoit by his by his real name. Um, I guess I guess maybe what you're talking to there is more like the erasure of of like WWE like erasing the Chris Benoit name. Like like is that I guess that's more what you're speaking to. I mean, kind of just like the cultural hit that it had on wrestling to be like, you know, you can show them calling him Chris Benoit, Chris Benoit, Chris Benoit on the news about this murderer and stuff. And and if they were saying, you know, whatever, any other name, like if it was, you know, any other wrestler and they're calling him by like their real name rather than the name that they used on television, if it would like make a difference for that. Yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it would have just because I feel like um Either way, they would have like it would have like crossed into like look, this is the same person, blah blah blah. blah. Like it would it would have still like been presented the same way. But I do but I do think the little bitch you said about how differently it's presented, or how much like Benoit isn't like taboo in like in terms of, like New Japan, or at least wasn't back in the Nico Nico streaming days. I, like I always I always just kind of think it's like, or I always just like wonder if um we we maybe we got more of like. Benoit in New Japan because he was he was prominent but only for like a short stint there that it, maybe if his uh, connection to New Japan was a little bit more extensive maybe he would have got maybe he would have gotten wiped a little bit more uh, thoroughly instead of like maybe having uh, some semblance of his career still intact there yeah that's very possible um, but yeah that was just a thought that popped in my head and I don't know I, I don't, Elliot if you have a, any kind of opinion on that one uh, no I think I got the same uh, I'm on the same boat as that one, yeah. I think if he was more prominent, did a bit more, probably would have been a little different, but because it wasn't, yeah, no. Okay. Um. So, yeah, so, I don't know. What did you guys think of the documentary? Like, do you think it was done pretty well? I watched it with my wife, who was not familiar with it, and she, after the finishing the first one, was kind of, like, hooked and was, like, definitely really excited to watch the second part. Um. So I think as a documentary, it was done pretty well. Uh, what was kind of your opinions coming out of it? Um, I, I they they paced it re- they paced it very well they paced it very well. Um, I I really I think they did a really good job just showcasing how much Eddie meant to Chris. And I think like you can't like you can't tell the Benoit story without telling that. And I think that like it be like because it was two parts. They, they gave them a little bit more room to do that because most of these dark side of the ring documentaries are only only run for forty five minutes, and you just can't tell the story of Chris Benoit in forty five minutes. I think that you really needed to devote that time into talking about the relationship with Eddie, and I think like from like from that standpoint, I, I can totally see like why uh why your wife would have been so hooked on it after that first episode because it kind of showcases Chris as this ticking time bomb or that. 
Eddie meant so much to him. So even as Eddie was going through his stuff and doing whatever, like he was still like a big, like shining light in Chris Benoit's life. So as they're getting to the moment where Eddie is, Eddie's in his, Eddie's in, Eddie's in his last hours, you kind of get the sense like, yeah, this is, this is where things go bad for Chris. And it, 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 and it makes you feel that way going into that second episode. Yeah, definitely. And, and it was, I mean, it was two parts, but it's kind of interesting because you, you mentioned it there and it is kind of like, it's, it's two parts. Yes. But it's kind of like the first part is Eddie Guerrero. You know, it's the story of Eddie Guerrero's death. And then the second part is the Chris Benoit murder suicide kind of, it's like what it felt like. Elliot, what did you think about like kind of the, the documentary's quality overall? I really enjoyed it. I was kind of, you know, I'm very skeptical when I go into these types of documentaries whenever i read anything like oh this is going to be about chris benoit i'm very like you know because 99 percent of the time you're either going to get someone completely villainizing the man and they're going to show no positive traits or they're going to sh- they're just going to get complete sympathy and just say like oh like he's a hero he's the best ever he's the best this the best that he never did anything wrong like it wasn't his fault like you never really find anything that kind of totes that middle line of what really happened in his life. And I think the two bar documentary really actually did that. Like they didn't villainize him, but they also didn't put him up on a pedestal that it wasn't his fault for what happened. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Like they didn't tote to one side. And I I really appreciated that in the documentary. It was very unbiased view on the story. Yeah. They did a good job of not really over sensationalizing on a story that is very sensational. And Mm -hmm. I think that a, a, a big part of that is they even show it like, when when david is breaking down and chavo shows up and um and i i can't remember her her name at the moment because i haven't been watching her wrestler for like wrestle for like 20 years but uh nancy benoit's uh sister uh come in and like console david as he's having a hard time it's like seeing that they were there you know because they 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 filmed the kind of talking head interview parts with everyone separately but then seeing that chavo who you know has obviously been involved in like helping produce and working backstage on glow so he knows a little bit about producing you know stuff for television but seeing that he was there and knowing that you know jericho jericho's connection to everything because i mean fuck jericho the first thing he did i think if i remember correctly when he left wwe was he did a podcast that was primarily all about chris benoit you know and it's kind of like this is this documentary felt like it was being led by by those types jericho chavo probably nancy benoit david benoit people who are trying to give chris a, a fair shake in a sense but also being very honest about what happened which is i think the best that you could hope for was something like this and and one thing that I that I really enjoyed about this is because, you know, I am like this insane nerd who's like I said, I, like, I can't remember a, a time when I watched wrestling where I didn't see Chris Benoit. Like I've been watching wrestling for so fucking long um, that like and I've dug into all the backstage stories. There was like a couple times watching it where they set something up and then they almost like cut away or or I thought that they were just going to leave it. And I was like getting ready to like pause it and explain the rest of the background of the story to my wife and be like, Oh, they left this and this out and there's more to this. And then within like a beat before I even had a chance to do that, they were explaining the thing that I was just about to stop to explain, which I really appreciated. Like when they talked about when Chris Jericho talked about the, the, the match and he whiffs the kick. And I was like, Oh, it felt like they were just moving on after he just said like, Oh, he, he whiffed a kick and he was beating himself up. And like, Oh shit. You know, they get into the next part of the story where he's doing all the squats in the back and you know, he's punishing himself basically. And then I was like, fuck, they're not going to tell that part of the story. And like, I've heard Jericho tell that part of the story a tons of times. Why would he skip it over? And then they go into it. So I thought they did a really good job of like any information that's out there to be known, they hit it. And 
but the thing is, I don't know that they necessarily broke a lot of new information. Um, like, I guess the part about Eddie dying, technically, like in Chavo's arms, I had never really heard anywhere before. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I never heard that before. In that, mm-hmm. like, like obviously, obviously, Chavo was part of the was part of the group, was obviously part of the creeping party there, but like. That was like, like just like the visual there was completely fucked. It was like, especially when you see how like how pivotal Chavo was into like um in like into like Benoit still a couple years later in uh, the text that Benoit that Benoit sent Chavo in uh and like it's, like Chavo had a real rough go of it those last those last couple of years. Yeah, definitely, and and Chavo, I mean, even when he said it, like. I, I really appreciated Chavo also being the voice of that because, you know, you, they didn't really get anybody else um, with Jericho saying, like, oh, I wasn't going to be on the tribute show. Anybody else who could say, like, yeah, I was kind of, like, put in a really bad situation because they they filmed me praising him and saying that he I thought he was such a great man and all this. And then, like, you know, within 24 hours, he's a murderer. So it was kind of – that was kind of also a good thing. Like, Elliot talked about that you give the duality of both things. You show the connection, the love, the support, everything that they have. But then you also have Chavo being like, yeah, like this person that I loved also like kind of made me probably feel the worst I've felt in my entire life about myself because I was now filmed on national TV saying and praising a murderer. And it's like that can't feel great. (laughs) You know, like that's not a cool thing. And to have that tied up with the memory of someone that you at some point loved as much as it seemed that he did that would be very tough to deal with so yeah this the documentary did a really good job of playing with all sides of of the emotions there um i don't know do you guys have any big takeaways i feel like i'm i'm kind of (laughs) driving everything i'll I'll let you guys kind of talk as much or about whatever you like um i I guess i guess for me like the one of the big ones is we knew how much eddie how, how close eddie and chris were but like like Chris really loved Eddie, like, like like to the point where I would I would probably say that like Eddie was maybe the only friend that Chris like really like like really had because obviously he's like he's he's close with Perry, Dean, Jericho, like guys like that. But Eddie was his one true friend, and to see like like the, like the, like the slow metam- like the slow uh, tra- transformation there. As people like again, be like it's the fact that people got work were concerned. Nancy was concerned at how about about at how Chris was acting. That Chris was uh he didn't take the, he didn't take the time to grieve. He uh was also we still he was still so caught up in his work and in his craft that he still like would allow himself to grieve after his uh after his best friend in the world passed away at such a, at such a young age. In just imagining Chris like so confused and so caught up in his own head and in his mind having no one he can talk to about this about this thing because eddie is who he would talk to and just how lost he was until he got that journal to uh write those write those letters to eddie i chris chris was in such a bad bad place after eddie's death and i think that a lot of it was just like um, Alec hearsay was just sort of out there like of course like eddie like eddie's friend would be would be in a bad space after eddie dies but I think the documentary really tells you and really kind of like visualizes to you how ba- how down bad and how fucked up Benoit was after Eddie's death. Yeah, Elliot, do you have any kind of big takeaways you want to talk um, about? 
basically what was just said, I think one part that really sat with me about the whole uh, Chris having to cope with the grievance of Eddie was like, was it Jericho who brought up that right after the funeral they were on a plane going to Europe? Like just, just the idea that Chris didn't get a break after that. Like that was like, like you know that was his road husband, that was his best friend. They probably did. It, they seemed like they did everything together, and to just lose that and without even like grievance, having to continue what you did with that man now without that man there, you're just completely by yourself, completely to your thoughts, and just how quick that impacted him was just insane. Yeah, I mean, and and Benoit clearly was a guy who was very, like, like into solitude. He spent a lot of time on his own. He was very singularly focused on professional wrestling from a very young age. I'm talking about the fact that he literally never had another single job other than wrestling. The way that he idolized the Dynamite Kid, and and you think about it, and that, that lineage and that connection is kind of very oddly tied together, where it almost makes perfect sense how close he became with Eddie, because... You know, and I, I don't when I think about Eddie Guerrero, or at least up until like kind of watching this documentary, I, a lot of times I kind of gloss over the Black Tiger era and don't really think about it. But if you look at that lineage, right? So Eddie Guerrero was Black Tiger 2. Black Tiger 2 was after, you know, obviously the first Black Tiger, which was Rollerbar Rocco, who was brought in to feud with Satoru Sayama, who was the Tiger Mask. And Sayama was one of the most famous and most popular and most well-known rivals of the dynamite kid so when you look at that lineage and that connection it almost weirdly makes sense that when benoit at such a formative age in his wrestling career gets partnered up with this black tiger 2 guy who's following the lineage of someone who was a competitor to the competitor of his idol that he would form this insane bond with them because that's clearly how his brain worked (laughs) like he was so obsessed with wrestling that i almost like you can tell that he definitely loved Eddie, but it almost feels like it was it was destined to happen with whoever was in that position if the, he got exposed to them because he was he was going to be like, well, of course I'm going to love this person because they have this weird connection to the man that I idolize in wrestling, and wrestling is the only thing that matters to me. So it is weird to even think about that, like that lineage and that connection and the way that that all comes together. It's like it was destined to happen just because of the way that he looked at things and 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 how obsessed he was with wrestling. So. To then have basically what, you know, can become his gang if he thought of himself as the, you know, the new Dynamite Kid and his kind of rival in the, you know, the Black Tiger of of Eddie, then being gone, it does become like, you know, that duality of existence. Like, what what point do I have to exist if my kind of other side doesn't isn't here anymore? And it's fucking insane to think, yeah, like he definitely needed more than people giving him a journal. But what do you do? Like, how do you, as someone who cares and he, loves, he, he, someone... he like you get like Benoit is like, and, and I don't and I don't want to say classic case of anything because like what happened here is like so like fucking like one of one and right. tragic, but just as far as like Benoit's temperament, he's like a classic case of someone who just like doesn't understand his own emotions, and like no matter like what no matter like what like anyone else around him sees or whatever, like no one like you like he's not gonna open up to you, and. You know, obviously the like the like this is the this is the mid two thousands, late two thousands, and you know this isn't the best time for people like to, to talk. But this isn't like where people are uh, most uh, um, clear about mental health or the most supportive of mental health and uh, and therapy and taking breaks and grieving and things like that. Like this stuff that like you know that's in the air, but not as like not as supportive or at the forefront as it is right now. That it was it was in the twenty tens or now going into the twenty twenties, like. 
mental health is such a big thing. And like obviously, like not like nothing can overcome the the brain damage that Chris Benoit sustained. But a part of me did watch this and think about man, like what if someone like 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 a Benoit at least got a second chance before things went all the way left because there was at least like therapy in counseling and uh, and things like that were much were were normalized more than they were in the two thousands. Right. I mean, how many people really have been saved by, you know, what is like kind of shit on by some people as being like PC culture, woke rhetoric, whatever. Like how many people have truly been saved by the fact that people are more willing to openly talk about mental health and all this. And, and yeah, like based on Benoit and his personality and his background and everything, I don't necessarily know that it would be very easy for anyone to get him to really open up, you know, and, and that's just the way that he was, but who how who can say but it feels like there has to be like there had to have been some kind of difference and some kind of help made by the fact that at least like if this was happening now that someone would have just told him like hey like slow down take some time off and take care of yourself because this is too much for one person to deal with obviously um so for me one thing that that stood out to me and this is like a a, a small kind of nitpick thing that in the grand scheme of things didn't really doesn't really matter but i did find interesting is it felt like when they talked about physical exertion when they talked about kind of causing the concussions that the really the one reference point that they used was like chair shots that felt like the main thing that they showed is oh repeated chair shots and to me i kind of thought about it and, I, and benoit he spent his time in ecw or whatever but he was never a chair shot heavy reference wrestler i don't think of i don't think he's i don't think of him as a guy that took a lot of chair shots but what i do think of him is is a guy who was constantly shredded which we've seen from studies that they show with like uh people who do combat sports legitimate combat sports who who cut weight by you know dropping uh water weight that being dehydrated makes it you more susceptible to concussions um on top of that, he worked a very stiff and brutal style with big bumps and hard strikes. So I thought it was it very like interesting. Not only that, like like just in the way Benoit bumped. Like again, like you've watched as much Benoit as anybody. Like he was a real snappy bumper. So like we yeah. talk we talk about like he's taking these back bumps and he's putting his all into bumping and landing and, and, and shaking his brain around and landing on the back of his head. That's, that's just the way Ben. That's just the way Benoit bumped. Yeah. So for him, I mean, a lot of it was probably whiplash created trauma like you said from snappy bumps and from being dehydrated so i thought that it was interesting that the the documentary kind of pointed to chair shots and showed a bunch of chair shots and i just think it's kind of scapegoating over the larger issue that you could point out like i said and 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 make a a, a kind of a point to say like this was not a wrestling thing because he t- took chair shots it, it, this is a combat sports thing of cutting weight unhealthily you know and maybe this isn't the the place to kind of talk about that but there has been like the WADA stuff talking about weight cuts in UFC and that just been like kind of overlooked and people basically let go where it's like how unhealthy it is. And, you know, collegiate college amateur and even high school wrestling people like cutting weight unhealthily and damaging themselves in that way. Like that kind of gets overlooked. And I don't know if you guys kind of thought about that or if that crossed your mind or anything like that, but I'll just, how about this is grievance? That's kind of my grievance. And you guys can feel free if there's any kind of nits you wanted to pick or any grievances you had with the documentary. Uh, on on the topic of the chair shot of the head kind of as a scapegoat, I mean, 
one thing I noticed when they did that and when they kind of brought in, what was it, like 2007, 2008, they were kind of under heavy fire for that sort of thing, I guess right after the Benoit incident. I think that was kind of an easy scapegoat where they could say, where it was like an easy fix, you know? Like, like obviously wrestling can't fully change and you get rid of the bumps and the high, the high energy uh, situations like that. But what you can get rid of is a chair shot of the head. You can find people. So if they kind of put the spotlight on that and they're like, this is the main cause and we've cut it out, everyone's going to kind of give that, you know, like applaud and everyone's going to pat themselves on the back. And it's kind of like an easy way to appease a lot of the mass public. Whereas if it were to come out that like, oh, hey, regular bumping really takes a toll. People are just going to like, no matter what you do, there's always going to be, it's like football and tackles. Like no matter what you do in football, now there's always going to be that, oh, but it's still bad for you, no matter how much protective wear and how many uh, post game rehab things you do. Like it, it, chair shots of the head was really a scapegoat answer, I think. Yeah, and, and they definitely they used it even in the documentary here, but they yeah, you're right that they used it in the real world as well. Um, so like, one, of the, one of the things that I was concerned with, at least at least going in, but um, I, they, they, I think they did do enough to really like showcase how much of an icon Na- Nancy was. Nancy was a very, very good manager, a great manager, one of the best managers of all time. And it's not like it's not fair that her legacy gets lost in being a victim here because a woman is one of the most influential managers of of, of that of that time period. And I'm glad that they had um that they, they did they 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 did uh sufficient enough time talking about how Nancy got into wrestling and Nancy's place in wrestling and uh and everything that she was involved in. Because my thing, I just didn't want it. To, I just didn't want it to become like this, like everything about Chris. Is Nancy was one of the was definitely like one of the more like more formative female performers in like uh, going, going in the night in the nineteen eighties. And uh, I was glad I was glad that her, that her sister was there to um, really, really, really do her justice too. Um, her sister having a good knowledge of wrestling and everything too. And her sister has appeared. Um, uh, her sister Sandra had appeared, has appeared on a uh, Talk Is Jericho before. Talking about Benoit, I think on the, I think on the ninth anniversary um, of the of the incident, and again I, I think she's someone that I'm glad that I'm glad they reached out to, and that Jericho probably recommended uh, they get they get they get her for this because um, I would I would have had a problem if we didn't really get anyone from Nancy's side of the family um, to talk to talk about to talk about the story. Yeah, definitely. And and you talk about it again, like, I mean, a, a, a very easy comparison for someone who maybe doesn't know. It's it's like Elizabeth, uh, Sensational Sherry and Nancy Benoit should all be in that same conversation. And yeah. honestly, I think that she's better than Elizabeth. And you can have a debate about between her and Sensational Sherry really for quality as a as a valet style manager. And and she does get overlooked at this point. People only talk about her in the context of of Chris and they don't really talk about her career on its own about how good she really was. Um, Elliot, did you have any kind of gripes or nitpicks that we haven't touched on already that you had coming out of it? Uh, no, you kind of covered it with the first one, but um, just to kind of be a terrible person, I didn't know Nancy was a manager until about two months ago. So like, I think that See? really adds to the overlooked thing. Like I honestly had no clue until just recently. 
Yeah, she was amazing. Like, she was really fantastic. And, like, I don't know, like, that really hot period of ECW, she was with, like, the Sandman, which I think gets completely overlooked, like, how much she brought to that act. Like, Sandman is thought of as the Sandman, but I don't know that he gets as over as he does without her there because she was a big part of his character where he was, like, transitioning from being a surfer to being a... He was supposed to be a pimp or a drug dealer at a time, and Nancy was a big part of that that transition. Um, you know, like, like and, Nancy, uh, if, you, if, you, if you just go ever go back, like Nancy just looked cool, like yes, like like in a way where it's like I guess Elizabeth was about to be like you know like pop and circumstance and glamour and royalty, and Sherry was just like you know, like like an evil maniac, like like. Nancy was just cool as shit. <laughs> like that's yeah. like that's like, that's the thing. Like if you ever, if you ever, like ever like go back and like watch her, whether it was like with Sandman or so or uh, or even with Sullivan, like Nancy was just she just had a cool aura about her, and it's something that um you know obviously as, as the years went on, she's got less and less involved in wrestling. Um, uh, but it's something that yeah, people really should um hopefully out of this give like give Nancy her due is that she was a great on screen character. Yeah, and for uh, to continue that comparison point that I kind of made, it was like um, Elizabeth was like Playboy, um, Sensational Sherry was like Penthouse or, or or Hustler or something maybe, and uh, and Nancy was kind of in the middle. She was like able to be glamorous and also be real and gritty, and that was like kind of really cool to see someone who was able to like kind of play kind of the in between line in a way that felt like authentic and believable and like makes sense because nobody is like purely one or the other, you know? So I thought that that was um, pretty cool. If that's not necessarily like a, the most woke way to describe women is based on um, like <laughs> pornography. But in the eighties, I think that like the kind of guy that was watching wrestling, their kind of experience of women was going to be primarily from porno mags, you know, let's just be honest with ourselves. So they were playing those archetypes, you know? Um, so yeah, another thing that I thought got a little bit overlooked, and it's you know whatever it's like kind of torrid stories of backstage rumors or whatever is is Benoit was was known in the WCW kind of '90s days of being a a guy who went to the club and took a lot of ecstasy, and ecstasy also damages your brain, and I think that it's it makes sense, and I understand why you want to point out a lot about like the issues that probably had a lot of brain damages from concussions and all this stuff, but. There is also the fact that there's probably increased brain damage to him from having taken so much ecstasy. Um, so I think that that kind of just got completely overlooked and no one even really talked about it. They talked about his steroid use. And I thought that it was interesting that they also like really wagged the finger at, oh, the WWE wellness policy is a joke and it's not real. But it's on the record that, that Chris Benoit had a TUE and was allowed to take testosterone. So, of course, he had a lot of testosterone in his blood because when it came to the wellness policy, he was allowed to take it. So they completely overlooked that and say like, oh, the wellness policy is a joke. He passed all these wellness tests and like, and oh, but he had so much testosterone. Well, yeah, he was allowed to take it. Like, should he have been allowed to take it? Probably not. But he was. And was he taking way more than he needed for a therapeutic use? Of course. But that's why he was able to pass. And you can't say that like, oh, that means everybody who was on the wellness policy was passing no matter what they were doing because he was an exemption. That's why he had a TUE. Like, you know, it's an exemption. Not everybody had exemptions. Um and and that said, like, yeah, you're going to villainize steroid use, but you're not going to talk about any other recreational drugs that he was, you know, known for having taken for long periods of time. So I don't know if I'm completely off base. What Like, how do you guys feel about that kind of talk when they talked about drugs in general? Um, the, the steroid thing I thought was I thought was interesting because I remember hear, hearing the same stories about Benoit and ecstasy. 
Um, it feels like once they got past Eddie and talked about how uh, Eddie had, had got addicted, addicted to painkillers, it seems like they completely shifted away from like recreational drug use. Um, even though that, even though yeah, like even if Benoit wasn't taking ecstasy anymore by that point, it's still something that like his WCW years kind of got glossed over. Other than like the other than like the uh, interactions that he had with Ke- with Kevin Sullivan, and ultimately the actions that led him and uh, Nancy getting together, but yeah, like that that, that part that part of Benoit's history is got completely overlooked there. Yeah, Elliot, I don't I don't know if you had any knowledge of any of that stuff because it probably happened when you were a baby. Very much a baby, but I do know from bits of just uh, podcast stories in the past, like they definitely did overlook the whole situation of how. Nancy and Benoit really got together like the story behind that but uh kind of backtracking to um the blame on the steroids and really looking past the ecstasy is once again it's kind of like a at the end of the day just like the chair shots of the head it was really a scapegoat if you think about it like it's easy to cut out that one drug one because not everyone's doing steroids but guaranteed everyone in the WWE at least at a time were doing ecstasy shrooms like any drug they could probably get their hands on to for an escape so it was probably easy for them to pinpoint this one and be like, this one's bad. Look, we cut it out unless they really need it. Whereas these ones are, you know, whatever. Like it was just really like a, just like the chair shots. I think it was just more of a scapegoat choice to use to kind of appease the masses and the, 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 uh, the news and everything like that, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And actually you mentioning that recreational, other recreational drugs reminds me of a specific thing where, where Jericho says, you can't even smoke weed with the wellness policy. And it's like, that's known to be 100% false. Because yeah. in the WWE wellness policy, even to this day, marijuana is a fine. That's it. You're not, yeah. you're not suspended. You don't get in any actual trouble. So yeah, they, they, they were overlooking kind of recreational drugs completely and even and even honestly lying about recreational drug use, which is kind of almost worse. I mean, I won't say that it ruins the credibility of the entire documentary, but it does kind of hurt the credibility of Chris Jericho in that sense, because you're like, dude, that we all know that's not true. Like, yeah. we know that you're not allowed to, you can get away with, with smoking weed in the WWE wellness policy. Um, ah, there was another point I wanted to get into, and now I can't remember because I've gotten myself, uh, oh, this was it. And this was something that I heard, and I'll give credit to, to Dave Meltzer talking about it, and, and, you know, whatever, who knows how true it is, but the idea of the um, the tribute episode of Raw, and what was and what wasn't known, obviously this has been a big talking point for a long time, but Meltzer let it fly on his, you know, Observer Radio, talking about uh, this documentary specifically, that at the time that Raw, the tribute episode of Raw was happening, he personally knew that it was a murder-suicide situation and that it was not um anything where just chris benoit had passed away from whatever um and so that he was able to extrapolate from that fact without giving away any sources or anything to say that like there's no way that vince wouldn't have also known because if dave Meltzer knew vince would know right he's in the position to also know and it's really tough to come out of something like this and want to vilify anybody other than chris benoit right watching this documentary but like What do you think of, like, did, do you believe Vince knew something and let all of the wrestlers continue to talk about Benoit in the way that they did? And, like, how much, how, like, I don't know, how shitty is that of him to do that? Like, I don't know, coming out of it, what do you think about that? And, yeah, go ahead. Well, one, I don't put that past Vince as he is um, already documented as covering up one murder. So, like, 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 there's nothing I I put past him. 
but when they were like going through the details and uh the wellness check and everything like that like i gotta imagine that like they were getting updated on the fact that like looked like it looked like nancy and daniel were killed and chris benoit was left was left hanging like it like it seems like yeah, like it's like like if that like those details, I can't imagine like didn't like didn't go un, didn't go uh unmentioned like immediately as they're the ones that called the wellness check. So right, and 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 Chris Benoit's death, like from the way that they say, it's like that's an eyeball that guy killed himself. That's not a we have to get a toxicology coroner report to tell. Like he's hung on a fucking weightlifting machine that doesn't really happen on accident, you know? Exactly. Like so, it's like. <sighs> A part, a part of me wants to, a part of me wants to like wants to think that like no maybe he just genuinely didn't know but again if Dave is so adamant that no like I was getting told this already then like yeah I I have I have to at least like consider consider that part of it. Um, you mentioned not wanting to, not wanting to come out of this like we're not supposed to come out of this like vilify vilifying anyone other than Chris Benoit. Shit, man, we're going back to WWE. The fact that they did like no like no 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 higher ups or anybody reached out to um. Benoit and his remaining family or Nancy's remaining family like is fucking insane. Like the only people that were ever that ever reached out to David were Chavo and Chris Jericho and no one ever reached out to Sandra and, or, uh, or 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 Nancy's uh, other or Nancy's other family. And I understand like from the perspective of hey, well, we kind of got caught some shit here by praising this guy before we knew all the details and now we're going to end this hot water, but we're going to completely, completely dis- distance ourselves from him. And like, so from that point, I understand it, but like even privately, you could have offered some help or some condolences or something, but to, to, to hear, to hear David say like the only, like, they never reached out to us or ever offered any help. And Sanders saying the same thing is fucking terrible. Yeah, Definitely. Um, Elliot, do you have any kind of opinion on on Vince in that situation? Um, I don't. I I want to. I want to believe that he didn't know when they ran the episode. Like he had no clue. But obviously, like at the end of the day, it's it's a TV show. It's a show. You're gonna run. What's gonna get the ratings? And the mass public may not know. So you want to get the, you know, you want to get the viewers in. Everyone's gonna want to know what's going on. So you're gonna want to run the show and. I think there's a very good chance Vince knew what had actually happened by the time it happened, uh, by the time the show ran and just kind of did his own thing, went to the beat of his own drum on that episode and just kind of, once he got what he needed to do, he swept everything else under the rug and erased Chris Benoit from history. As for the whole David and everyone never getting any, like, uh, any phone call or any, we could help you. I, you know, that's just, that's just shit. That's just shitty. That's just, yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. And David, I think that we both kind of overlooked, or we've all kind of overlooked David a little bit as we've been talking about the documentary, but this is the most I've seen David Benoit. Like, I've seen, you know, obviously pictures of him, and I've heard him talk, and I've heard him kind of talk about stuff, but, like, coming out of it, I mean, there's, you know, there's always all the talk about, like, oh, David wants to be a wrestler, oh, he shows up here and there, oh, you know, people feel awkward around him, all this and that, but, like, coming out of this, I mean... I feel for David, and I think that they did a good job of presenting that. They may have hit it over the head a little bit hard at the end when they talk about how he's an innocent, and you know, and they really, they really hammered that home. And I don't think it was necessary because I think it was very easy just watching the documentary to come well, out we, of it. We, we know what it is is like, because he looks so much like Chris, 
That's right. like I get like so I I like I I kind of understand like the like the the desire to be like look this is a good guy that didn't do anything wrong and as far as like like the idea of him him wanting to still wrestle it's like look he, um when 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 everything happens I'm, what's what's David like like between like nine like between like nine and eleven right right like. So we've had more than enough time to watch to watch his father become this wrestler and go to wrestling shows and watch his father on TV. And it's like, I imagine by that point he already wanted to be a wrestler. And so, so it's hard for me to sit there when, like, whenever people talk about like they don't want David to get to get into the business or get into whatever. It's like this kid, this probably a kid that like grew up just being a wrestling fan, like every like everyone else did. And now he kind of like he's getting told to like stay away from him just based off what his father did. And it's like. You get it, but it's like it's that's a re- that's a real tough thing for me to like sit there and sign off on just because he's he's probably a kid that that thing grew up grew up in love grew up in, grew up loving wrestling just like just like all of us did, right? And I mean, he talked about it with his dad being his hero still to this day, and and his dad was his hero as a child. Like I don't know, I, I you know before we started this review, I said Chris Benoit one of the greatest wrestlers that's ever lived, like w- without a doubt in my mind. Um, and when I say when I say something like that, I mean like probably in the conversation for you know top twenty, ever at least minimum. Um, and to imagine that like you're a fan of wrestling and your dad is that, it's really hard to not like idolize him, see him as your hero, and want to try to emulate what he did. Like how can you not? But but I uh, I, I did come away with it like yeah like feeling a lot of major sympathy for him and I <laughs> I do think that maybe they hit it over the head a little bit too much talking about him. Oh, he's such an innocent and all that and it's true. But I don't even think it was necessary. But Elliot, like coming out of it, I don't know. Like, what was your takeaway on David Benoit coming out of this? Because I think that they really did position him as like a as really like one of the most sympathetic figures in the entire documentary. Yeah, I think the biggest uh, obstacle for David Benoit if he were to you know, like go through his training and become a professional wrestler. The biggest obstacle for him, I think, would be him coming to terms with like the reality of like what had happened and that no matter how far he could make it in wrestling, that there's always going to be, you know, those terrible internet fans that are just going to shoot insults and slurs and anything they can at the guy that hate Chris Benoit and villainize him. But it already seems like David has come to terms with like he can separate the the murderer from his dad from the wrestler like there's three different personas in david's mind and he understands that and i feel i feel like he really should get a shot and that he should be able to pursue it something that is probably his childhood dream like he wants to be just like his dad and just like the wrestler why not let him you know like why why should anyone hold him back from what he truly wants to do uh well sorry to cut you off but like all you kind of mentioned kind of mentioned it there something that i wanted to like Maybe like have was like as I have was like the closing thought of the podcast. Whenever we get to is that um, David Benoit seems to genuinely believe that like whatever like whatever happened that whatever happened that day was not was not Chris Benoit. It was the accumulation of all these things that happened. Whatever like whatever what he 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 believes that that was just not Chris Benoit. And you know now uh, you know going on thirteen going on thirteen years later. And I guess like now being the first time that like an unofficial documentary has ever been put out like this, uh, talking about talking about Chris, uh, you know, like I was gonna add, like go ask ask you ask you guys where you guys stand in, in, in a little bit is that are you in a space now 
where you can attempt to separate uh, attempt to separate uh, murderer and performer is it still like things that are like that are like closely married to you? Is this even a fair conversation to have? But like, from as far as us being like three guys that don't have that don't have children, like is this even a fair conversation for for us to have about as far as like not viewing him that way? And uh, yeah, I was I was gonna I was gonna leave that up in the air for whenever we got to it. Well, that's unfair because I know that Elliot is a proud cat father. So I mean, <laughs> we we do. I think everyone on this pod on this uh on this podcast does have kids, furry kids of their own. Um, but uh. I'll open it up again, like, so that I can, you know, be the most, like, kind of wild out there take so that no one, neither of you guys have to take the heat on this. As after it was done, like, my wife even said, like, you know, she was making a, a reference. I shouldn't say my wife. Alicia. People know who she is. They've, you know, she, I've done, I did podcasts with her a long time ago. Um, she, uh, she said, like, I always think it's so weird when these people in these interviews are like, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. How could anyone do this? And, like... You know, her thing was just, like, what, like, how, like, minimal is your imagination that you can't, like, kind of conceive of this? These, these things happen, and, and it's, like, why is not the first thing that you go to is, like, obviously there's something very wrong with him mentally, and that was why he was able to, like, do something that's that's no one else would do but was terrible, but it's, like, of course you can understand it. And, and my response to that was, like, yeah, like, you know, I it's not something that I see myself doing, but I completely understand how it happens, and I understand how you stretch it out over three days. Cause people love to like point at that. Like, how do you do this? And then over three days, you just like slow. And it's like, because when you kill someone, it happens in a second and then you have the rest of your life to regret it. And that's how it takes three days for you to get to the point where you finally kill yourself because he probably got upset. He has a lot of issues with his fucking brain. Obviously he's a loose like just completely on the edge for a multitude of reasons. We talked about it, but losing basically his only anchor and connection to the real world in, in Eddie Guerrero, having a history of drug use that's caused severe brain damage, having a history of severe, like huge impacts to his brain that caused severe brain damage to the point where his cognitive function is completely out of it. And in a moment, and, and, and not only like a, like a dude, a dude that was so driven and focused to a point that was like scary, unhealthy. He is an unhealthy, driven person who can snap and get upset in a moment and do something that's literally the worst thing you can possibly fucking do and kill the one person that you're supposed to love, basically more than almost anything in the world. First. And then after that, go on to kill the the next person that you're supposed to love more than anything in the world. Because I can definitely understand the thought pattern. It's like you snap in a moment of rage and a fit of whatever and you kill your wife and then you're like, fuck, what the fuck do I do? And you have all of this, all of these thoughts and all of these ideas in your head and you're trying to think. And I can definitely see how someone who's that fucked up in their brain and has so many issues, it's like the next step is like, well, you know, I can't just leave Daniel in this world without us. So I have to kill him next. You know, and so then you go and do that, and it's like, that's almost like he's trying to do it out of compassion because of how fucked up his brain is. And then, you know, over the next course, you have to deal with now the idea, well, now I have to kill myself. And so, yeah, like, I can definitely see how, for me, I can I can look at it and I can understand a thought pattern that I won't say was it because I don't know. Nobody knows. But I can understand how you get there if you have something severely wrong with you. And the idea that you can separate the person who gets to that place pretty easily you know because it 
with everything that was wrong with him, with the severe amount of brain damage that he had that was proven by studying his brain, I just they talked about it. It was if it wasn't that night, it was going to happen at some point because he was a ticking time bomb that was just waiting to explode at some point. And it could have been there, it could have been on the road, and it could have been anyone it could have been anything it could have been just himself it could have been whatever it could have been but it was bound to happen and it just so happened to end up being the worst situation when it comes to the unthinkability of the idea that he ended up murdering the people that should have been the people that he was really like the closest to and the most kind of um you know protective of he ends up killing the people that you would expect he would have should have been doing anything to protect which is you know what makes it so hard for i think for other people to think about is because these are the people that should have been the closest and the most important to him and that just happened to be it but if it wasn't them it would have been someone else or it would have been again just himself or something so so yeah i can definitely see how you separate that because it's it's a situation that doesn't it's not normal and it for me like i said it can make sense but it's it's really just like a terrible situation that you don't want to believe that a person who has all of their kind of cognitive brain function would ever do. So yeah, that's why it's like pretty easy to separate. I mean, a counterpoint there would be like, there's plenty of like, there's plenty of documented CTE cases when it comes comes to NFL and there's not many that mirror what Chris Benoit did though. You know, so I think that's, I think that's like maybe like the one thing that you can all, you can point to is that, yeah, there's there's CTE, and that there's people, there's people who have wound up killing themselves because of, because of their CTE and faced a severe depression and things and things along those lines. But for every case like that, there is there's not there's not that many that line up with what Chris with, with what with what Chris Benoit did. So how would you respond to that in terms of Chris Benoit and what he had going on in his brain? Like I said, I mean, it, what it comes down to is it's like. All of those other times, whatever happened in other situations, it just, it was just a, it happened to be, you know, like, it's just in those moments, the different situations happen, and this is what availed itself to him, and it was just, you know, it's just like the perfect situation. Like, you can say whatever, but like, look at um Hernandez, what the fuck, the that football player that Aaron, Hernandez. Up, Aaron Hernandez, like, he killed all those people, and I'm pretty sure that he also had CTE. Yes, very bad, had very a lot bad of, CTE. And a lot of other fucked up real life situations in his background and, and just a personality disorders and all of that stuff. So, so it led to him doing that. It's like the thing is, is it, it's it just it just at that point, like I said, it's just a ticking time bomb where it was going. Something was going to happen. And this just happened to be the thing that did happen. Because, again, like I guarantee killing Nancy was a momentary thought, a momentary choice that then ends up being the biggest regret of his life. But it's like, you can do something. We've all done stupid things where the the second after you did it, you were like, well, that was stupid. His stupid thing that he did just kind of happened to be murdering his wife, which is crazy, but that's where he was at with his inability to really control his own thoughts and his own actions. Um, so yeah, so coming out of it, I can understand, I won't say that I sympathize with the murderer, but, <laughs> but I can understand how it happens with someone who's been kind of, you know, who's had such, such a 
insane life up until that point that led to finally like the last straw being something this terrible um i don't even remember what your question was for to move on to elliot but but uh feel free for you guys to kind of ruminate on that or 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 have your thoughts um i guess for me it's like I get kind of turned, kind of, kind of coming to terms with your, with your own, with your own, uh, with your own, with your own moral compass here, because I, I am someone that likes to pride themselves on understanding like how someone's circumstances are going to affect, like how like their judgment at a, at a certain point in time in a certain place in a split second, like anything can go and anything can go wrong here. And I think for me, as long as I've uh, Stayed in the rest, stayed in the wrestling bubble, and continued to be a wrestling fan. Uh, Chris Benoit has, has has continued to be a constant test on your uh, on your morality. Is are you like 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 at least it's framed by a lot of people? Is that are you someone? Are you are you okay with a murderer? Are you okay with just like watching a murderer now? And you know, that stuff that stuff did bother did, did bother me from uh from time to time. I was like, oh man, am I, am I okay watching a murderer? Am I okay watching this guy that? That, that committed this that committed this heinous crime, and I think I think eventually, I got I got to a point uh, somewhat similar to you, Timothy, where it's like, I like whatever happened to his brain up until up until that point, no one can say, but that was a guy that went through severe, severe, severe trauma. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not someone that begrudges anybody that. Feels however they feel about Chris Benoit, but again, especially people that have kids. Um, I know plenty of uh, people that listen to listen to this podcast or that we want to listen to this podcast. That a lot of their Benoit feelings are judged are based on the fact that they have kids of their own and imagining you know someone else like killing like it was supposed to be the biggest blessing in your life, like having a child like is like that's like that's that's past the point of understanding or any sort of uh, compa- com- compassion. And I think I think for me I'm still like kind of like stuck there, but as of right now I'm still someone that you know for better or for worse I'm still able to separate Benoit and his crime and Benoit the wrestler that I saw for years and years. And I'm not sure what that says about me if that says anything about me, says anything about me at all. But that's still where I'm at. That's still where I'm at with it at this point. And you know, I'm fine still being still being in the middle with it, and uh, you know, if people have their heels dug in either either way on it, then that's really fine. I'm not someone that's gonna sit there and complain that Benoit is an in some imaginary Hall of Fame, and that we should um, acknowledge him and talk about him on TV because they, of course, they shouldn't. They they there's no way they should talk about Chris Benoit. That'd be monumentally stupid. But uh. I don't know. I, I still, after after all of this and like all these years later, I still think I'm just somewhere in somewhere in the middle on it. Yeah, and that's 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 really fair. Now, Elliot, like again, you're coming to it from a different place because you weren't really exposed to Benoit until after he was a murderer. So it may be a little bit easier for you to have that cognizant dissidence between the guy and the actions because you didn't have to deal with kind of circumnavigating your original feelings of him prior and then and then yeah yeah Yeah. no definitely um it was definitely just really hit on the head really good there just uh the idea that you know like it's always going to be different for every person and i'm very much 
along the lines of like I can differentiate, like I could watch his match and the first thing to come to mind isn't the fact that he is a murderer, but at the same time, I, I will never be the one to say he should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm never going to be the one to say that he should be referenced on WWE because I just don't think that's a good idea because like his matches are his matches and that's his legacy. But to lots of people, his legacy isn't his matches. And I, I was very big on not being a supporter of watching him at all for the longest time. But one thing that really did wrap my head around it is the fact that his, his own son could differentiate. And that kind of clicked with me with, you know, like if he can look past, such a big thing and still admire the wrestler then like you know you don't got to love the guy you don't got to respect the guy you don't even got to watch his stuff but you got to be able to understand that to a certain degree his wrestling is still his wrestling and you know there's no second chances in this but definitely just along the lines of i i yeah i guess to go back to the question i can differentiate between the wrestler and the human yeah and and it's it's definitely the case that like I think that there's there's different types of fans in general in life, and this is something that I picked up from like early on being like a fan of like uh, underground hip hop is I, I I noticed the different like fandoms, and the way that some people who are into like that music you know would be like don't let anybody else hear about this you know don't put that out there for everyone to hear and then there's the people that are like you know those people are the worst like hands down the worst kind of fan of something are the people that are like i like stuff because i don't want anyone else to know about it i like that i'm the only person who likes it i think that that's really shitty like you know we have elliot tyler on the call and i constantly talk about how much i love the strays in the pacific northwest scene because i want more and more people to pay attention to that when it comes to being like a fan like that that's my thing i like to champion the things i like but then there's also the people who like have this weird feeling where it's like well if i like something everyone should like it and i think that the 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 concept of benoit in the hall of fame is like this weird mix of like that fandom where it's like I think that the people who are still okay with watching Benoit can break into two camps where it's the people who are like, I understand why it makes no sense for WWE to put him in the Hall of Fame completely. And that's where I'm at. Because I'm like, I still can appreciate Benoit. I still think he's one of the greatest of all time. I'm still fine with me watching it. I'm not a fucking business. I am not WWE. I'm not a multi-million dollar company, billion dollar company at this point who has to answer to stockholders and all of these things. So it, what I say, and in my opinion, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't affect my bottom line. But it does for them. But then there's the other fans who are like, well, I still love Benoit, and he's so great that they need to recognize it, because until they recognize it, then he's not actually that great. And that's kind of my takeaway. It's like, I don't need everyone to recognize that he was still great, because I understand, just like Quentin said, it's like, some people are never going to be able to separate the two things. And... More power to him. Like, that's fine. I don't blame you. I'm not upset with you. Um, there was a time just years ago where I would, like, point stuff out that I thought was, like, you know, um, contradictory. And, oh, you're being a hypocrite because you still <laughs> – and I'll even say this and it makes it, like, very clear who I'm talking about and whatever. I, 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 because, I feel like I know where you're about to go with this. But I remember pointing out and being like, well, you still like Jerry Lawler and he's, you know, a pedophile or whatever the fuck it is. And I was, like, very much, like, pointing that out. Like, how can you say that that's okay, but Benoit is not? And and now I'm I'm a little bit more understanding. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know what? Like, there's room for all opinions about things and things that you're okay with and things that you're not okay with. 
I thought you were going with, about to go with the invader there. Oh, no. Yeah, that too. But, you know, that's even smaller. You, like, in the grand scheme of, like, wrestling critique, I think well, that the oh, invader I knew, thing like, I would like, 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 think of, like, a very specific shot of someone who likes Puerto Rico. Or oh, something. yes, 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 yes. Yes, I, I can definitely get where you're coming from. But, like, the idea that people can say, like, I can't watch Benoit's matches and he's a murderer and he's the worst person in the world. And then also they turn around and say that Jerry Lawler is the greatest wrestler of all time feels like, you know, at the time I was like, that's being a hypocrite. But now I look back at it and it's not because it's your moral compass and exactly. it's how you exactly. look at things. It's, it's, that's the reality of being a human is that, right? you know, with certain things are going to affect you more than, than, than other things are. It's the, you know... It's part of like you know obviously being a person of color like racism is gonna like is gonna like some gonna be something that, that grinds your gears more than any other sort of, any other any other form of bigotry and that then plays into stuff like 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 intersection like intersectionality and things like that and belonging to more than one minority group but like if you belong to this one minority group and that's what you and that's what you mainly and that's what you identify with then um, racism bigotry. Um, crimes against that minority group is what's gonna is what is what's gonna bother you. That's what's gonna that's what's gonna fuck with you, and that doesn't mean that like you're a bad person just because like everything else in the world isn't does like doesn't like hold the like hold the same place. That's just part of your moral compass because that's what you identify with. And for me, that's why I totally get someone that like has children, like not being able to get past the Chris Benoit thing, because again, as something like if I ha- when I have my own child, like. Maybe like maybe my opinion will be different, but as far as like all my friends in this boat who have who have children already, like I totally get like just not being able to get past that because like that's a big part of your moral compass there. Like, how the fuck do you like are do you, are you okay with someone who killed a child? Right. Yeah. Elliot, do you have anything else to add or anything else you want to uh, mention before we 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 head out? I think on this. Uh, I feel like everything was hit pretty good. I feel. I feel good. All right, Quentin. Anything else from you? No. Um. Just what I mean for me, like the first time I've ever probably talked about talked about talked about Benoit in, uh, in the time in the time I've been doing anything, and um, I thought I thought it would feel weirder by the by the by the, by the time I got to the end of this, but I feel like you know I I feel like I've probably like explained explained myself as well as I probably could have on here. Right, and I I I feel I feel fine. I've talked about benoit at least somewhat in the past i there was actually a time years and years ago i wanted to do like a a benoit podcast project kind of thing um and i never got around to it um so it's nice to kind of finally officially do something here um but with that said the one thing that crossed my mind that i do feel bad about is having elliot on this podcast because now i want him to like plug things and and have people go out and check him out because i talked about it like i talked about it now i've talked about it the entire time but I mentioned it just now about being such a huge fan of yours and uh, and and that I want more and more people to pay attention to you because I, I think that you're like a fantastic wrestler who who is in, you know, two of the top 10 uh, feuds of 2019. I'll, I'll put that out there officially. Um, so, yeah, I guess, Elliot, what do you uh, what do you have going on? I know not a lot of wrestling <laughs> matches right now, but where can people support you in this time so that when things are back to normal, you're in the position and ready to get out there and, and, and show everybody what's up. Uh, well, few things to plug, uh, maybe just 
if you want, I don't have any online stores for merch or anything, but if you want to follow me at Elliot Tyler underscore, if you want to watch my matches on YouTube, just go look up anything Elliot Tyler, Beef Boy Strays. Um, a really fun one to check out recently uploaded by my friend Parm Man, Parm Singh Man, uh, was uh, my match with Travis Williams from the last ECCW show before the show stopped running. If you could check that out, besides that, one other cheap plug. A uh, wrestler by the name of Eli Surge has been pumping out tons of promos and content lately. He's working a conspiracy theorist character with tinfoil hats and all the jazz. So go check his stuff out. He's got a lot of good entertaining short skits and clips on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. A lot of stuff that's uplifting and kind of away from the current mainstream uh, talks of COVID and everything going on. Just a, a nice little escapism, if you will. Uh, those are my plugs. Those are what I got. Awesome. Well, I do know that, you know, unrelated to any of that, I do know that there's this really cool shirt that I bought a while back, um, from a wrestler from up in the Pacific Northwest called, uh, Liza Hall. And, uh, there's a version of that that's now on sale on pro wrestling tees. Um, so if people want to go uh, check out Liza Hall's pro wrestling tees, they can get a shirt that's not as cool as mine, but is still very cool. Um, Quentin, if you got anything or you can close us out for the night. Uh, nothing here. As always, you can go ahead and follow, and follow the podcast at QNTR. And yeah, obviously, there's not there's not a ton going on, and we've been floating and floating out ideas on what we're going to be doing. Uh, going forward, obviously, there's like there'll be some stuff going on that we'll that we'll get around to as far as like current wrestling. But we'll st- we're still uh, got some things in the work as to how things will be going going forward. But uh, other than that, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll be here next time. I wish that you would love me. I wish that you would love me more Nobody else but me Like shawty what you asking for Yeah, little bitch I'm right here Like shawty what you looking for Yeah, yeah I ain't going no, I ain't going no way Like shawty right there, right there Nobody can compare Shawty keep my love with you I know that I'm stuck, I know that I'm stuck with you Yeah, and I know that the issue I wish that you would love me I wish that you would love me more Nobody else but me Like shawty, what you asking for? And little bitch, I'm right here Like shawty, what you looking for? Yeah Shawty keep my love with you I know that I'm stuck, I know that I'm stuck with you